I'm Jeff Saperstein, co-author with Hunter Hastings of the book, The Interconnected Individual, Seizing Opportunity in the Era of AI Platforms, Apps, and Global Exchanges. As an interconnected individual, you want to know how cutting-edge thinking can help you design, implement, manage, and enjoy your own individual economy. Today, we're talking with Kim Page, communications expert, author of The Right Kind of Loud. Kim has also lived in nine countries and exemplifies the global worker, an any-place person. Kim can use her mastery of a subject area and plug into different roles, organizations, and regions to achieve both autonomy and personal purpose. Kim now lives and works in Dubai in the United Emirates, and she and I know each other when she was living in the San Francisco Bay Area, and I saw how she was able to handle risk and opportunity fearlessly. We will discuss Kim's approach to communications and her approach to career navigation in a global community. You can greatly enhance your career if you can pivot and satisfy your own work life experience. So let's begin. Hello, Kim. Hello, Jeff. Thank you for inviting me. Great. Uh, well, first, Kim, can you briefly talk about your approach to interpersonal communication in your book, The Right Kind of Loud? And congratulations on publishing it, Kim. Uh, maybe you can talk a little bit about how you think about interpersonal and communication. Thank you so much. Of course, that's a very exciting topic as my book is out this year, so it's an exciting time. So the right kind of loud, it means that fine-tuned approach when you really reach the person you're trying to reach. And I chose that title because when we think of communication, often we tend to start thinking about ourselves and the message we have. And I want to say this, and I need them to know that. But actually, if you want to reach somebody, it's a lot about having audience awareness and thinking about the situation. So sometimes the right kind of loud can, need, can be silence. Sometimes it can be to wait for the right moment. And of course, in other times, it can be to really speak up. And so that is why it's called the right kind of loud. And um, the subtitle is finding your communication voice. So it's really about how to increase your impact and how to influence others. And, and in the book, there are seven dif different chapters with toolboxes and then underneath all of them, you can say that there is a theme and that theme is that it helps you to bring your whole self along and it helps you to listen. Because if you want to be a good communicator, uh, you need authenticity and you need connections. And so um, when I started writing this book, I was aware of there's kind of two ways to write a book like this. Either you base it on academic research and you refer to a lot of other thinkers and writers, or you base it more on your personal experience. And so I tried to do that in the book. So along with these different tools, I have uh, personal stories about how I have learned and practiced and been helped by these tools myself. I call it like it's not only storytelling, it's only story doing. It's about we need to walk the talk. So I, I hope and I think that that is part of the book. So there's a combination of exercises and reflections and tools and my personal journey you can say with these tools yeah and and i think also as i was starting to write i realized that when i started talking to people that many people started using the right kind of loud as an expression at work and i find that really inspiring because you know when we are in organization and we talk about different situations with colleagues we've had a meeting or we've had something happen 
by, by asking people, was that the right kind of love for you? Or maybe just by saying, you know, that wasn't really the right kind of love for me. It can be very, um, a soft opener to a real conversation about something. Because I think most of us in the professional world, we have, we have resistance around this thing called feedback and all of that. But this approaching it through the lens of the right kind of love can really be helpful. At least that is my hope. Yeah. That's wonderful. And, and you and I, Kim, have talked about the art of conversation, the ability to be curious about someone else, the ability to be genuinely interested in someone else. Mm-hmm. And I can, I can testify that you, uh, normally we say you, you walk the talk, but you actually act the talk in <laughs> how you are and how you are with others and that other people really want to be with you and help you. And that is in a very important uh, characteristic uh, that you have, and and it's it's been a great attribute of yours. And so I want to move on to your life as being an any place person. You have lived in so many regions, I believe nine countries, and you said yeah. that you're about to move to your tenth. Uh, you've had different roles, uh, and so I want to ask you about how you think about being a global person who navigates her own career. So that you're not only going to places, but you're also evolving your own career at the same time and having your mastery and autonomy, which is very important to you, but being adaptable in different places. So talk a little bit about that. Thank you. And thank you so much for your generous mirroring of myself. I just have to say on the theme of curiosity that actually one of the sections in the book is called the curiosity as doorway and is part of the listening chapter. So indeed, curiosity is, if you're practicing listening, it is actually a really hard tool to learn. But if you are able to tap into real curiosity, it makes it easier. So I, th- I hope that, that is, some people will be helped by that from this chapter. Yes. Right. So global world and all of this. And I looked at this question. I thought, how can I start it? And I'm actually right now reading a book by Brené Brown. Um, this book called Braving the Wilderness, and it's about belonging. And so as a global citizen, you get a lot of gifts and you have some sacrifices, right? So the gift is you belong everywhere and the sacrifice is to re- you don't really belong anywhere. And so when I was reading this book, there's this uh, quote that I've actually have known since before by Maya Angelou. And Maya Angelou said this in, a, in an interview uh, in, on TV in the 70s. So I'm going to allow myself to quote her. So Angelou says, you're only free when you realize you belong no place. You belong every place, no place at all. The price is high. The reward is great. And, and in this book, Brene is going on about how she couldn't understand what that was about. And it made her very upset. And then eventually she got there. As for myself, when I read this quote the first time, I immediately understood what she meant. Because that is what happens when you're an any place person. And I think, I think that um, part of the gifts of being an any place person is that you become a bridger. So you can see things from a different perspective because there is no real given. And another part of the gift is that by default, you have to become a good communicator because when you are not the majority, you have to start thinking about how are they going to see this? How are they going to understand this, etc. So you get a lot of gifts like that from the process. 
And I don't know, do you know about the expression third culture kid? No, please tell me. Oh, goodness. Fantastic. So I discovered the expression third culture kid uh, six or seven years ago, and it was a real eye-opener for me. So this is actually a, a thing. And it was created, I think, in the 40s. And the first people who started talking about third culture kid, it was people who were doing research around uh, children of army, uh, army, uh, army families. So the definition of a third culture kid is a child that grows up in, a, in another country than the parents. So in my case, I grew up in Norway and Sweden and my father was English. So I'm a third culture kid. And uh, President Obama is a third culture kid. He grew up in Hawaii and his father was from Africa, et cetera, et cetera. So, and, and in a place like Dubai, I would say more than half of the population are third culture kids. So my friend here, she's Swedish. She's got three daughters with a Lebanese husband. They grew up here. They're totally third culture kids. So when you are a third culture kid, you just have that thing of, yeah, in, I call it interbelonging. You belong more places. And, uh, and it's, it's, again, it has that gift that it's, it makes you a bridger, right? Right. And, uh, and, uh, and actually, I had to count because this spring I was invited to speak at a big conference of real estate here in Dubai. And the theme was Happy Cities. And I didn't know that that's actually a thing. But there is like a global movement about happy cities and how to make them happy. It's very interesting. So I counted my cities. And this is the 15th city that I've established myself. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Um, but I thought also I wanted to talk a little bit about some more of the gifts. And that is that when you start moving outside of the cluster of the people that you grew up with, it gives you also the gift of seeing that these in and out groups are really not real. And that is something that we can transcend. And, and I find it very sad when people define their, their whole identity around their in and out group. So I know it's common, especially in Europe, to define yourself as, you know, I'm Norwegian or I'm Spanish or I'm this and that. And I, I'm fascinated because the fact that you're born somewhere has nothing to do with your free will or your soul or your choices in life. So what you learn when you're a third culture kid and you start moving around or you're just born somewhere and you don't really belong is you have to go deeper inside yourself and find out who am I. And so when I define who I am, I'm looking at my values and my choices and the decisions I've made and my longings. And I think that way of defining myself makes it easier for me also then to bring my real curiosity and to have real meaningful meeting with, with others. And it also you know, takes... That, that, yeah, that's beautiful, Kim. And um, I, I'd like to get move a little more specifically because you've talked about how people have come forward to help you in, in each yes. place that you've been. Mm -hmm. So um, for people who may be establishing themselves somewhere else or are mm -hmm. moving uh, from mm -hmm. place to place, how mm -hmm. specifically do you establish relationships and community wherever you go? Ah, that's a fantastic question. Yes. And, and, and the, the first thing I think of when I think of that is the first word that comes to me is realness. That you have to show up with your full self and be real. It's like people are not going to lean into you or want to engage with you unless they can get a sense of who you are. So there's, there's that, you can say it's, it's, a, it's an oxymoron, it's a, a paradox, right? Because... For you to be able to be safe, you need to take the risk of giving something. 
right? It's, it's a risky thing to really show up because then, right. then you, like, you, you can feel exposed. But at the same time, if you don't offer anything in your presence and you don't tell people about who you are, they don't get a sense of you and they're, they're not going to engage. So being real. And I think, as I said before, that goes underneath the whole stream in the right channel loud in my book, right? It's really about finding a way to expand your comfort zone so you can be real. And, and um, there's no fast solution to that. But I mean, curiosity, I think, is a really good key, right? When you, you're right. really curious. And then the next thing that comes up for me is to bring real listening. Because if there's one skill, I, I write that also in the listening chapter, I say that of all the communication tools, the one big one that really is going to help you if you want to become an influencer is listening. And especially in today's world, you know, in today's world, attention span is going down globally because we have so many interfaces and messages and we're zipping back and forth the whole time. So, you know, Microsoft did this research with the goldfish. Have you heard about the Microsoft goldfish one? It's yeah, no, it's, it's, they did this, they, they measured the average human attention span. And I think the first time they me measured it, uh, we could keep it for 12 seconds. I think it was year 2000. And then they measured 2012 and it gone down to eight seconds. And it's called the gold, goldfish experiment because the goldfish can keep their attention nine se seconds. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. It's a very uh, let me ask, let me ask, uh, 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 uh. I guess a, a more granular question. So you show up in Dubai or you show up in London or you show up in San Francisco. Yeah. Are there certain people that you meet and then they open up their circles to you? Do you go to networking groups? Do you create, uh, do you go to cafes? How specifically, uh, assuming that you're going to be listening and you're going to be curious and you're going to be yeah. real and all of that, well, what are the it. specific? Yeah, how yeah. do you actually make it happen fantastic I'll, I'll tell you if it's okay i'll tell you two stories yeah sure so i actually started doing this organically before i even knew knew the word networking and this was in the my first big move to a new country was when i moved to berlin and that was in the just after the uh, berlin wall had fallen and i uh when the wall fell in berlin i was uh, studying in sweden and i knew it was something magical but i didn't know exactly what it was so I said to some friends, let's go there and celebrate New Year's. I'm sure it's going to be magical. So we went down there and I had only been once to Berlin. I knew very little about anything. But at New Year's Eve, so 89 to 90, we stood at Brandenburg Tor in the middle of the city and the whole East Block was rushing down onto Den Linden. It was a very magical moment. And so I, I didn't know what it was, but I knew it was magical. So I went back and I said, I'm going to go there. So what I did was organically, every time I met somebody, I said, yeah, in a few months, I'm going to Berlin. Do you know anybody? Mm. And I ended up having, I still have it actually in the basement somewhere. There is a little yellow note. And I started writing down all the names that people gave me. And magically, and this happens almost every time I do a transition, when I'm going somewhere, what happens is your soul leaves and it plants itself there. And so... It will help you, but you need to talk to people and you need to ask. It's very important that you ask. So I kept asking, so do you know anybody? Do you know anybody? So I had a list, I think, of eight people. And when I came to Berlin, I called all of them. I said, hi, I'm Kim. I'm from Stockholm. Will you show me town? And most of those people turned out to be my friends. And they were all very interested and curious. I mean, that was, this is way back in my early uh, going around things. So 
to, in today when we are interconnected with internet, it's actually easier to do it. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things that I recommend in one of the chapters in the book around networking is a method that I call the passion giveaways. So when you're new, you're going to feel insecure. And there's lots of stuff that you don't know. But something that makes us feel secure and happy is when we do something we're passionate about. And so if you can find a way to do something you're passionate about and give it away for free for a while, that will great. It's a great way to create a new community. So I'm passionate about, uh, you know, I'm a vocal coach. I'm passionate about helping people get their voices. And I'm also a passionate choir leader. So I moved to Dubai on New Year's Eve. Yeah, I thought, let's, let's choose a good auspicious landing date. And three weeks later, January 23rd, I had my first choir rehearsal and I founded a choir. And so I had Dubai Women's Voices. And uh, it was, I talked to a friend. I said, I want to create a choir. She said, great. I want to be in your choir. I said, do you know any people? Sure. And then the first half year, we didn't have any place to rehearse. So we actually went from living room to living room around town, which was a great way for me to get to know people. And what happened then is organically, all these women in my choir, organically, I didn't need to ask. They just started helping me because I was their choir leader. And, you know, so not everybody is a choir leader, but I talked to another woman, an American lady, I know her, who's, um, who's a therapist uh, and she uh, does amazing work. And she moved in her youth to Peru and she was into tarot reading. So she said when she went there, she started giving free tarot readings. And then by the time she didn't have money left, people started going to her and, and pay her because by then she had a reputation. So mm. I think a really good way is to bring something that you love doing and that you love to give away. And, 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 uh, and don't be stingy around that because that is your way of drawing people into your magical zone, into what you like. That's and, a wonderful, and, that's a wonderful story, Kim. You know, you mentioned about the women's choir, and so that leads me to the question about the challenges that women may have in being independent and global. And um, you've been in places where, uh, I presume, in Scandinavia, you know, women's roles are uh, uh, quite equal or independence is not looked upon differently. And here you are in Dubai, and you were in Yemen. Uh, and so... What is it like for you in terms of uh, challenges that women may have uh, in being independent and global? Talk a little bit about that. Sure. Thank you. Well, that's a very, very big theme, right? It's, <laughs> it's a huge one. And then and just, just to start by clarifying a little bit about Dubai, uh, and I know that because every time I visit San Francisco, the Bay Area, the first question people are, how is it to be a woman in Dubai? So I know that's a, so I know that when you look at the Middle East from the outside, Dubai uh, probably, I think, seems a little bit closer to Saudi Arabia than it is when it comes to how women are treated. So, I mean, there's, there's Dubai is a place with many different societies inside the society, if that makes sense. So I'm not a Muslim woman. I'm here as a white expat. And uh, so in my world, this is pretty much like San Francisco, actually. Um, mm -hmm. And there's lots of pro-women's initiative from the government here for Emirati women as well. Um, it's a little double-layered, but at the same, because at the same time, the law is Sharia law and it's an Islamic law. So there's lots of things that women can't do. But for me, in my realm of where I operate, this is not different than a Western country, actually. 
but having said that, in a Western country, even in Norway, Sweden, and Denmark, or in the Bay Area, or in Barcelona, or in Mexico, or in Berlin, etc., I mean, we, there's this global systemic uh, disadvantage of being a woman. We need to fight harder to get power. We need to fight to work better, to be respected. There's a lot of, I mean, there's a constant daily working upstream as a woman, in, as a professional woman anywhere, right? And, and I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, I, if, if I sit down and I focus on how much better my professional life would be as a man, I just explode. <laughs> I would earn better. I would be taken more seriously. And of course, I just need to keep doing what I do. There's not like, uh, there's not like, there's no way. And, and also I feel like you can say maybe like an extra responsibility as one of the privileged women who is educated and has resources and has had a lot of exposure. So I feel like I need to do as good as I can also to show others that it's possible. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Does this, does this feel like I'm answering your question? Should I say something more? No, I, I, I don't know. Uh, since I, I, I know that women talk about these challenges and obviously there's a me too movement in the United States. That's, um, yeah. that has to do specifically with, uh, sexual bullying, et cetera. But, yeah. um, I have, um, you know, work with many women as clients, as, as mm. people who are associates. I've taught mm. thousands of women in university. And, and so mm. I'm, I'm sensitive to uh, some of the issues. But um, I think because you go around and you establish yourself and you are independent, you are autonomous and you are so outgoing and therefore... Um, being a woman and being global and being autonomous may have special challenges that are different than a woman who has lived in the Bay Area, worked in a profession, and has to deal with the normal indignities of whatever office work is. Even at Google, everybody walked out, 20,000 people walked out of Google because of sexual uh, really? practices. Yeah. yeah. So I was just wondering if there's anything... Yeah. Um, that is special is when you are independent and global, that may be a little different than what women deal with everywhere. That's, I guess, the... Okay, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Let me think about that for a few seconds. I just want to tell you that I actually just gave a session at Google here in Dubai, and that for, was for a women's group at Google here. And I, had, I went there to a meeting to the contact person who invited me in and talked about what was up for them. And that was just the same as is in, in the rest of the world. They were just, the conversation was about how it is harder for women when the promotion conversation comes to be hands-on and to push. And yeah. so systemically, consistently, the men get faster promoted. And then when a woman comes back from maternity leave, she's usually given the not so interesting projects that are not so prone to get promotion by. And so I did a voice session for them called Your Voice, Your Power, which was about accessing more of their voice and projection and awareness and all of that so that they will have more tools to speak up. And so, of course, I feel there's a, you always need to have a a double awareness there because I can come in as a vocal coach and give them some tools, which I love doing. And at the same time, we're talking about systemic phenomenon that needs to be addressed on a systemic level as well. Right. Yes. So so that, that, yes, that's definitely, well, when it comes to being global, what is special? I don't know. I'm thinking. 
Well, I mean, if I would be worried about what people think about me, and I would try to live my life to impress certain people or live up to certain standards that are not my own, then I certainly would have a lot of issues. I think I'm grateful for that my family just didn't have any, you're supposed to be this way or that way. So I think that's helpful. And then, although I'm aware of the systemic difficulty and that I need to work harder and there's a lot of disadvantages and stuff, I mean, I have uh, gracefully and thankfully integrated a lot of confidence because of the way I work and what I do. So I just show up and expect yeah. it to be as good as it can be. You know, I mean, I came, one of the isms that I'm especially irritated by is the fact, you know, I'm not married. I don't have children. And there's a lot of reactions around that. And there's always the assumption of that, that something, something's wrong. And I mean, if I would have been a single man traveling the world in my ninth country, Oh, how fascinating, how great, how adventurous is. So I'm feeling that often on a personal basis that these questions are like, but ma'am, don't you have any children? But ma'am, where's the husband? I'm like, no, there's no husband. <laughs> and I don't feel bad that I don't have a husband. I mean, I would love to have a partner. That's not the point. But to, to support myself and do what I love and, and try to make a difference in the world by my skill set is a privilege. And, and, and again, I'm just aware of that, you know, if I was a single man, that wouldn't be an issue, right? Right. Yeah, I think for most of us who are... Um have not faced that is very important to hear and to have empathy that women that that the things that we may say as men are uh interpreted a certain way or that we may not be uh, we may be oblivious and therefore hearing what you have to say just in that example mm -hmm. is um really a very important statement mm -hmm. so i don't want to belabor the challenge that women have but being someone who has had your experience in life uh, mm -hmm. there, and you're a great communicator and so open that uh, you found a way to um, make all of this work for you. And when it doesn't work, you're able to see it in a perspective and move on is what I hear. Yeah, thank you. It's, it's actually very special to be asked something about this, like from a woman's perspective. So I'm engaged with a lot of women's groups right? I give yeah. sessions yeah. to a lot of women's groups and yeah. I'm invited to speak yeah. in a lot of women's forum. I'm moderating at women's conferences, all of that. So I'm a part of all of these things. And, and so for me, I just try to be, I try to be a role model and I try to do, I mean, I turned very aware and very feminist very early in my life because of things that I was exposed to. And so, so yeah, it feels like a big question. I'm afraid if I'm not answering it well enough, you know, no, as a you've answered it beautifully. You've answered it beautifully. And, I, and as I said to you, Kim, I'm asking you, I don't ask every woman this question because mm -hmm. you have, you really addressed in communications and, and you've been so yeah. uh, independent and autonomous that in a sense you're in the vanguard and, and have a lot. Yeah, and I, I think I can add one more thing that is not gender specific, but maybe extra important to hear for women. Uh, there's a couple of things that helps me be a global independent woman. And one of them is um, that, you know, I have a really good connection with my gut brain. Some people call it the gut. I write about that in the body language uh, chapter. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. um, when you are, if, if at all, and I've, I've actually been in some real situations of dangers in my life. Um, and when, when, or if people who have been in survival modes in, 
brutal situations, they will know what I talk about. So if you are in a really acute situation, your mental brain doesn't have time to process, but your gut brain is going to start giving you orders and tell you what to do. That is the one that makes you know. And so uh, this is another story. And this was, I went to Mexico City to learn Spanish and to do a volunteer project uh, with young drug addicts to create a performance with them. This is many years ago. I went there for Frida Kahlo because I was a passionate uh, fan of Frida in my whole youth. And so this is me. And I'd never been to Mexico my whole life. I was going there for two months. I didn't speak very much Spanish. And, uh, and then just a couple of weeks before going, me and a friend, we went to this pop concert in Copenhagen, very innocently. And we had this going back and forth. Should we go? Should we not go? Should we go? Should we go? Blah, blah, blah. And then we ended up going. And it was a really, really disgusting energy. Something was wrong. It was just one of those, you know, when you go to a place and just like, whoa, I shouldn't be here at all. And so we yeah. kind of rushed out of this venue and we were both kind of like shaking it off, you know, and, and we looked at each other and she said, you know, then we knew it, right? Both of us had had this gut feeling about we shouldn't be there. And it's a very innocent example, but this was just before I was leaving. So I remember telling myself, ah, I need to be tuned in. I need to listen. And I mean, I, I was in Mexico City for a long time and I took the metro. I did everything. It's a single woman everywhere. Nobody touched a hair on my head. I was fine. So, and then when it also comes to danger on another, on another end. So um, I've actually survived a shooting in my, in my mid-20s. And it's the only school shooting ever in the history so far in Denmark. And um, it was very strange because I had just come back from Berlin. And there had been some dodgy things that happened in Berlin. when I, I was followed by some people on the street and I realized that Berlin had turned unsafe which was new to me. And I was living in Aarhus at the time, which is a, the second largest city in Denmark, which means it's actually not a city at all. It's a province town, very safe, secluded. And um, there was a guy who came into the canteen at university and he killed two people and uh, I survived. Um, but it's, I, I call it the illusion of safety. Yeah. Because sa the safety is a mental thing. It's an illusion. So yes. I think because of what I've been exposed to, I know that safety is the only safety we have is following your inner voice and being present and listening to your inner gut. That is the only, that's because, wonderful. yeah. That's a wonderful way of, of, yeah. of talking about it. Uh, in, in, in terms of time, I want to ask you one more question. You've been yes. very generous. Um, you. you are continuously learning and developing your own expertise. And one of the, one of our points in the interconnected individual is this continuous learning is part of the toolbox that one must take a responsibility for. Mm -hmm. So what advice do you have for professional lifelong learning and personal growth? And the part of this that I, I love that you can talk about is there's the systems learning, like you learn Salesforce or you learn Google analytics, or you learn how to use a particular technology. Mm -hmm. or a discipline and then there's the personal growth side that you've been so involved with with your mm -hmm. communications work um so what advice do you have for people um about learning and developing their own expertise maybe a philosophy about it and then some practical <laughs> advice of where to get it thank you it's a wonderful question so it's maybe boring in a way but actually the biggest the biggest tool that I have for anybody is to learn how to listen 
because the only guru you'll ever find is the one that you have inside. It's really, and to be very mindful of that when you talk about going to new places, people immediately start projecting their experience onto you. So if you say that, oh, I'm going to Italy or I'm going to London or I'm going to Poland or I'm going to China, people start telling, oh, but China's like this or Italy's like that. And there's no harm intended, but they, they're talking about their experiences. And your experience is always going to be unique. And even if you've been in a city and you go away and you come back, the city is a different city because you're not the same. The city has changed. Your relationships have changed. So, so really be very mindful of when people talk about what you should do or where you should go. Uh, it is not, it's not necessarily relevant for you. And I, I have a quote in my book about listening. And I say, attention is the new currency and listening is fluid gold. And when I say listening, I mean both to listen to what people say, but mere, really listen to, to what your own voice is telling you. And then, of course, they need to buy our books. They need to buy the interconnected individual. They need to buy the right kind of loud, of course. And, and, uh, and I think also one of the last things, maybe it's good to know that I don't know how I sound out there. I'm just speaking for me. I'm speaking with you. But I can imagine that I sound like, oh, my God, she's so confident. She's been everywhere. I'm as scared as everybody else. Every time I transition somewhere, I have this, exactly the same fears. I don't have like a, an invisible safety net that exists or this and that. I just know that even if I'm afraid, the only way of finding out is by trying out and doing it. And I think the reason I am becoming more and more global in my life is because my fear of being stuck is stronger than than the fear of trying something new. And then also what I can say is when you start, when you follow that inner voice that takes you places, you know, the universe actually helps you. You know, like I went around and I talked to all these people and I went to Berlin with my yellow little list in my hand. <laughs> and it is so much easier today when you're interconnected on internet. So when I travel and I go somewhere and I post it online, I have communities in so many countries and I just, to give an example, I just gave a book launch in London in August. And I had, had a woman who turned out, she used to be my coaching client in Barcelona a decade ago. Oh, I'm in town. Can I come? So it gets easier. It gets easier. Yeah. That, that is wonderful. And I also know that you go back, you went back to school to matriculate at Sonoma State and that yeah. you are one who looks at learning, both formal learning, informal learning, personal yeah. growth learning. And that learning is part of your DNA and continuous. Yes. And I think I'm also grateful in that sense because I grew up in Scandinavia where lifelong learning is more accepted, I think. Like it's not the concept of that. It's something you do in your 20s and then you're done. And right. to give you an example, my own mother started her education at 39 and she had two or three careers after that and was very successful. So, you know, for me, yeah, it never ends. I mean, I'm here to learn and, and expand. That's the only thing that makes it. And also, by the way, if anybody out there is afraid of Alzheimer's or all these getting old diseases, it's proven that, you know, the best thing you can do to stay young and alert is to create new highways in your brain. And the only way to do that is to try out things you've never done before. So actually, by being global, by learning new things, you are making yourself smarter and uh, you're going to live longer. There you go. Well, to quote Dylan, Kim, you're going to be forever young. And, uh, <laughs> and you're, 
<laughs> you are a great you are a great inspiration thank you so much and uh, yeah we will we will post this and people yeah. will be able to contact you and follow you. kim page thank Fantastic. you so much thank you so much jeff i look forward thank you <laughs>